Welcome to Whole Healthy Living with your host, Sharon Brennan. Our show will provide the expert information you need to clean up your body and environment to live a vibrant life. You'll learn about harmful toxins, detoxification, proper nutrition, and much more. Learn how you can live clean in our toxic world. Now, here is Sharon Brennan. Welcome back to Whole Healthy Living, Clean Living in a Toxic World. Today's show is about pregnancy, nutrition guidelines, vaccines, toxins, and more. I have three guests joining me today. Sally fallon Morell, founding president of the Weston A. Price Foundation and a campaign for real milk. She's co-author of the best-selling cookbook, Nourishing Traditions, and co-author of several other books, including Eat Fat, Lose Fat, Nourishing Broth, and the Nourishing Traditions book of baby and child care. I also have Stephanie Seneff joining us, senior research scientist at MIT's Computer Science and Artificial Intelligence Laboratory in Cambridge, Massachusetts. She holds a bachelor's degree from MIT in biology with a minor in food and nutrition, a PhD in electrical engineering and computer science also from MIT. She's the author of more than 150 peer-reviewed journal and conference proceeding papers. And until 2007, her research was mostly in natural language processing. Since then, she's focused on research in an area of environment, nutrition, and health, and uh, she's published over 20 papers on these topics in medical and biological journals. Her most recent research has focused on the pervasive toxicants, aluminum and glyphosate. She proposes that low-nutrient food combined with pesticides and toxic metals play a crucial role in many modern conditions and diseases, including heart disease, diabetes, obesity, neuropathy, gastrointestinal problems, thyroid cancer, and pancreatic cancer. Lastly, we have Pam Schoenfeld, a licensed licensed dietitian and nutritionist with a practice focus that specializes in helping children and families achieve their better lives by following ancestral nutritional principles. Pam is passionate about getting the word out to people in in all socioeconomic groups. She's become the co-founder of Healthy Nation Coalition, Coalition just prior to the release of the 2010 Dietary Guidelines for Americans. Now she's serving as director of the whole of the Healthy Nation Coalition. She continues to push for dietary policy that is based on ensuring adequate essential nutrition over the current focus on prevention of chronic disease. She believes that essential nutrients are first and foremost in the maintenance of optimal nutrition health, optimal nutritional health, excuse me. So I'm glad to have you all with me this morning. Thank you so much for being here. <laughs> It's Thank my you for pleasure. Having us. It was pleasure. Well, let's start, ladies, with pregnancy and nutrition. If a woman hasn't followed a nourishing traditional diet during pregnancy, can her child be affected negatively for life? Well, Sharon, that's a that's a difficult question because, of course, we will never know. We don't have a control, and uh, you know, one baby that was born with a you know from the same situation. Um, nourished and on the other not well nourished or marginally nourished. However, what I always advise women is not to look back because from my own personal experience, I didn't discover the Weston A. Price Foundation principles till my children were there in their mid um, early teens or 10 to 14. And at first it broke my heart that I missed it, missed the opportunity but then I realized there really wasn't anything I could do but to go forward and be feel blessed that I got the information when I did. And I would say, yes, it's probable that the baby, the child will be affected. 
but we just need to do the best we can because the information is not always available when we need it, and that's why we work as hard as we do. And the Weston A. Price Foundation has provided that information, and we tr- continue to try to disseminate it. But I always advise women, let's you know, let's just go forward. We can't look back. So um, that's what I would have to say about that. Okay. Sally, what do you think about Pottinger's theory and, uh, you know, nutrition, generational nutrition? Well, he showed that whatever species of animals <clears throat> or with humans, if the diet is not appropriate and nourishing in every diet, the diet for each species is different, but for that particular species, and he worked with cats, uh, then you start to see um, health problems and they get worse with each generation of the poor diet. So in the first generation, you see what I would call adrenal deficiency problems. You see allergies and you know intestinal problems. You start to see behavior problems. Then the next generation, you see serious chronic disease, you know, cancer and and shut down of various organs and so forth and then by the third generation he found that the either the young didn't breed or the females were infertile and so you basically had no more animals i i do want to address what pam says though it's never too late and the human spirit is uh, you know an amazing thing i sometimes feel when i start to give my seminars Maybe I shouldn't say what I'm saying at all because everyone in the room is going to feel so guilty that they didn't, uh, you know, start off on the right diet or they made so many mistakes. Well, I I always like to end by saying, first you forgive yourself. I made terrible mistakes, especially I think with my first and second child. And you just learn and move on. And the wonderful thing about the nutrient-dense diet that we are advocating, which is extremely high in good fats and fat-soluble vitamins, is that it can heal a lot of things. It can change your bone structure, and it may not change, you know, certain uh, um, things that you've been born with, uh, you know, um, physical um, deficiencies or whatever, but you can overcome a lot of things with a good diet and it's a great challenge for us uh, in these days of you know, we're just surrounded by garbage very tempting garbage uh, to to learn to choose uh, from our own selves uh, the right foods to improve our health and so, and I, so I would like to oh, we, go go right ahead, Stephanie. I'm sorry, <laughs> I wasn't sure if she was done. Uh, yeah, so so I would like to, of course, echo what they say about eating healthy fats, and in fact, uh, in particular, uh, animal-based fats from you know grass-fed beef. Beef, you always have to make sure to get as healthy an animal as you can sourcing your meats. Um, also, seafood, seafood, and healthy eggs. Everything organic as much as possible, top of the line, is really worth the extra money to get high-quality food because you'll end up with toxins in your food that will really mess up uh, the development of your child, potentially. Uh, in fact, uh, my, my focus has been on cholesterol sulfate, really, since I first started looking into the autism problem. And it's interesting that cholesterol sulfate accumulates in large amounts in the placental villi during the third trimester of pregnancy. And I believe that what's happening is the mother is supplying both cholesterol and sulfate to the fetus. And uh, the fetus uh, desperately needs both cholesterol and sulfate in order for the brain to develop health uh, properly. 
And both cholesterol deficiency and sulfate deficiency are linked to autism. So especially in the cerebral spinal fluid, a study showed that the cerebral uh, post-mortem study on autistic brains showed that the cerebral spinal fluid was depleted in sulfate. And I feel this is a really, really important part of um, the brain development to produce a healthy uh, child, a healthy brain for the child. I would also like to add that if a, if a woman wasn't optimally nourished during her own childhood, I do believe by adopting the um, fully nourishing diet um, of our ancestors with the um, animal fats and the organic and grass-fed products that Stephanie mentioned, I think we, we can overcome or she can overcome a lot and set the path for her own child to have a healthy future. So I, as I said, as Sally said, it's never too late and, and just go forward with that confidence and that's, that's what I always advise my patients. Okay. Yes, and, and the good news is that this process, which Dr. Price called physical degeneration, <laughs> he didn't mince words, you know. It was a degenerative process over generations, a couple of generations. But it is reversible, and that's the good news. We can go back to this uh, optimal health that we found in traditional isolated cultures. It's reversible, and that's the good news. But it's up to us now. You know, um, the diet isn't handed to us on a silver platter. We have to seek it out, and we have to support the people who are producing this food. I think that's, um, you know, very, it's important for people to understand that it's an education. You have to educate yourself on this stuff because you're not going to find it in the media. Your medical doctor isn't going to share it with you. It's, you know, and a lot of people just don't have the time to sit and educate themselves. So, you know, we being advocates of, let's say, the Weston A. Price philosophy and healthy eating, traditional diets, etc., you know, it's up to us to educate people and get the information out there. So I want to encourage everyone who's listening to take the time. And, you know, I, I think one of the most valuable tools, Sally, is your cookbook, because it's not just a cookbook. And in the beginning, the first third of the book is very, very enlightening and very educational on nutrition. And I think, you know, that by itself, um, anybody that was interested in learning more and, and following these principles, they could learn quite a bit within your Nourishing Traditions cookbook. Oh, thank you. And, you know, I feel that was written in 1996. <laughs> so we're 20 years. There's um, so much that we have learned since then. But it still points to the same principles. We absolutely need these animal foods, the animal fats, all the foods that we have been told are bad for us are the very foods that we need for healthy children. Yeah, and the science just continues to confirm what you what you pointed out 20 years ago, Sally. And I have to add, the book is an, is an incredibly fun read. I couldn't put it down when I first discovered it. Thank you. Folic acid and folate. Stephanie, what's the link between folic acid supplementation and glyphosate? Very, very interesting topic. And in fact, I spoke on this topic at the Western Price meeting in November, the, the, the general um, wise traditions meeting that they do, annual meeting that they do. And um, it's a fascinating topic. I really dove into it. it. It looks to me like there may have been knowledge at the time back in 1998. 1996, there were you know, legislators who met and tried to deliberate in America on whether they wanted to um, add folic acid supplements to wheat, uh, wheat-derived products. 
um, thinking that there might be an issue with spina bifida. We're seeing a sort of an increase in a worry about um, spina bifida, and of course you can have some nasty um, neural, neural tube defect type uh, uh, deformities in the children that are born with folic, folate deficiency. So they wanted to add folic acid to the, um, to the food supply, and they made it a law in 1998. They made it... Um, they started doing this, adding folic acid to the wheat. And the interesting thing, folate is fascinating because folate itself is actually pretty fragile. There's sources of folate, of course, liver actually is a great source of folate, but we're not eating liver anymore. And liver is dangerous to eat unless it's an extremely uh, healthy animal because that's where the toxins are going to accumulate. And liver is loaded with so many nutrients, but one of them certainly is folate. And then you can get folate from the dark green vegetables, but they're often in cooking, the folate gets destroyed. The main, I suspect, a big source of folate is the gut microbes. That uh, Our gut microbes actually produce folate and supply us with it. In fact, they supply us with a lot of B vitamins and other nutrients. Um, it's so important to have the balance, the proper balance of gut microbes. And um, unfortunately, the folate is derived from the shikimate pathway, which is the pathway that glyphosate disrupts. That's well known. I mean, Monsanto broad, broadly claims glyphosate disrupts the shikimate pathway. That pathway exists in the gut microbes, and they use it to make folate, among many other important nutrients. And so um, if that fat pathway is disrupted, the gut microbes will not be able to supply us with adequate amounts of folate. So it's going to be depleted in the foods that are exposed to glyphosate. It's going to be um, hard to get from liver because the liver is so toxic and we're not eating liver anymore. And the gut microbes aren't able to make it. So we do, in fact, have a problem with folate deficiency. But you don't fix it by adding folic acid to the wheat. Folic acid is, uh, has the advantage that it's more stable. So you, it doesn't get destroyed by cooking the way folate does. So they were thinking that was one argument they used for why they should use folic acid rather than folate. But the problem is folic acid is a synthetic form of the molecule. It's oxidized and it doesn't have the methyl group. So the, the, what's active, what's useful is methylfolate. And uh, to make methylfolate out of folic acid is going to really stress the liver because uh, the bacteria in the gut would normally methylate folate, but they won't methylate folic acid. So they ship it off to the liver untouched. And so the liver has to both reduce it and methylate it, costing the liver dearly in, in its antioxidant capacity and in its methylation capacity. So you can actually end up with folate deficiency, especially in the brain, if you take too much folic acid. This is a very, very interesting contradictory statement, but because what happens is that the liver cannot afford to waste any more methylation capacity and any more antioxidant capacity. It just says, look, I'm just going to let that folic acid go straight into the general circulation. I'm not going to fix it. So the folic acid becomes worse than useless at that point because it's because of its oxidized state, it's going to cause oxidation, you know, systemic oxidation problems, and it's going to bind to the folate receptors in the brain and disable them. So it actually prevents whatever folate is available from getting into the brain and causes this cerebral folate deficiency problem, which is linked to autism. So it's really quite a mess uh, with respect to eating too much folic acid to try to fix the folate problem. What you should be doing to fix it is to get rid of the glyphosate and start, of course, eating probiotics to try to renew the gut microbes, uh, pure uh, organic diet, and don't eat bread that contains folic acid, which is, of course, difficult because it's the, you know, the regulatory agents require it. Yeah, and that's interesting, Stephanie, because now the um, USDA wants the um, whole grain products also to be enriched with folic acid, and it used to be just the refined grains. Now they're telling people to look for the labels on the whole grains that are fortified with folic acid. But in addition to that, I, you know, I see a lot of pregnant women, and they often bring their uh, 
vitamin supplements or tell me which ones they're taking. And a lot of these, if not all, of the prenatal vitamins contain yes. 1,000 micrograms of folic acid. It's really scary. And they do that right through the pregnancy, whereas the, the important time is the first trimester in terms of getting adequate folate. Beyond that point, it probably works against you. And how much should a pregnant woman be getting? I'd say none. <laughs> oh, well, yeah. yeah. I mean, there are people, though, with the MTHFR um, genetic mutation, and I do think that that would be helpful then to get the extra activated folate that, that Stephanie yeah, talks folate. about. You, know, you can get yeah, methylfolate uh, supplements. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Meth- methyl tetrahydrofolate, it's um, probably a lot more expensive, but it's certainly uh, what you'd want to take uh, rather yeah. than folic acid. Yeah, and I don't think it's that much more expensive, and some of the better prenatals that are made by... Um, the more the premium manufacturers do include that as a rule. Great. That's great. You know, I, I want to point out um, that uh, we, we think that the Roundup, is, the glyphosate, is just used on genetically modified crops. But I think mm-hmm. what the public doesn't realize, most wheat is sprayed with the Roundup just a couple days before harvest to um, desiccate the stems and the leaves. So you're getting a big dose of it in most wheat products. Um, now, presumably, and I don't know if I, we can always make this assumption, but presumably you're not going to get it in organic wheat. Uh, but your bread and your um, wheat products, if you do eat wheat, should be uh, organic and, and, of course, sourdough, which, by the way, probably increases uh, the folate content when you uh, do a sourdough. Right, I love the uh, sourdough organic bread is, is the only bread I eat pretty much. It's really great. And I want to add something interesting, which is that uh, the wheat, um, the glyphosate in the wheat uh, could disable uh, an enzyme that's crucial for breaking down the gluten, which is called prolyl transpeptidase. That enzyme depends on manganese, and glyphosate has been shown to severely um, deplete the manganese supply by binding tightly to the manganese and making it unavailable. It's called chelation. Stephanie, I hate to interrupt you. We're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. The Weston A. Price Foundation provides accurate information on nutrition and health. Find out why butter is a health food, what's wrong with modern soy products, and why good health is found in the wise food traditions of our ancestors. Visit our informative and fascinating website at www.westonaprice.com. Ouch! What do you think of when you think of dental procedures? Well, when you think about it, the teeth and the rest of the body are strongly connected. What happens in one part affects the other. In the Tooth Body Connection with host Dr. Don Ewing, we'll explain more about these concepts as well as discuss the role that your teeth play in your overall health. You'll learn about amalgams and how removing them the wrong way can be toxic to your body. Tune in Fridays at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health & Wellness. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness.
are tuned in to Whole Healthy Living with Sharon Brennan. To reach the show today, please call 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to wholehealthylivingradio at gmail.com. Now back to the show. Okay, we're back. Stephanie, did you want to add anything to where you left yeah. off? Well, maybe just to finish that uh, thought, which is the prolyl transpeptidase in the gut is a very important enzyme for breaking down the, the gluten. Gluten has a lot of proline, and proline is difficult to break down, and that is an important enzyme. It's been shown that defects in that enzyme cause gluten intolerance and celiac disease, that enzyme will be defective if it doesn't have enough manganese, which glyphosate is going to make unavailable. So that's a very simple explanation for uh, why we have an epidemic in gluten intolerance because the wheat is loaded with glyphosate and the glyphosate is poisoning that enzyme and preventing it from doing its job. Hmm. And then you have these wheat peptides that don't get broken down and that's how you get an allergic reaction to them. Well, it all makes sense. There's definitely a chain of events that takes place with glyphosate uh, disrupting that pathway. So uh, obviously essential nutrients are important not only to a pregnant mother but also her baby. Let's discuss the importance of specific nutrients and nutrient deficiencies and how they actually affect the unborn baby. What are some nutrient needs that are difficult to meet if one follows the dietary guidelines? Well, first and foremost, I always point to vitamin A. Vitamin A is is unfortunately gotten a um, unfair, bad um, reputation, especially among obstetricians. Um, and women are advised many times to avoid foods high in vitamin A that they should actually be eating, which is the liver, and to a lesser extent, well, the egg yolks, um, good good pastured egg yolks and and butter. Um, but Vitamin A is necessary for reproduction from the start and proper differentiation of all the cells that make up the organs. So, for example, one thing we know that if if there's not enough vitamin A in a prenatal diet, the offspring would be born with um, less than optimal number of nephrons in their kidneys. And that could set the um, offspring, and I'm going to use that because that's generally animal studies, uh, for kidney problems later in life, and we are seeing a lot more kidney problems in this country. So that's just one of the things. Uncompounded by, with that is the emphasis on the vitamin D now that the obstetrical community is making. Um, they feel that women can't get too much vitamin D. I've seen many women that, in addition to the one to the one thousand IU's in their multi uh, prenatal vitamin, they're receiving five thousand extra on the advice of their obstetrician. So they're getting 6,000 international units of <clears throat> excuse me, vitamin D, which in some studies it shows that that's helpful to ensure that the um, breast milk will be adequate in vitamin D. However, at the same time, they're getting no vitamin A. And it is my belief, although this is a hard thing to prove, but when we see the facial structure of children right from the very, um, right practically from birth being narrow, it's my belief that the excess vitamin D is causing calcification, early calcification, and preventing the expansion of the palate and the soft tissues. So um, I would really point to that as the number one problem with pregnancy nutrition, especially when a woman is seeing a conventional medical practitioner. 
Yeah, I couldn't agree with that more. Vitamins A and D need to be together. They work together. If you get too much A without the D, you're going to have problems, and too much D without the A. And then these two vitamins also need vitamin K, and all three of these vitamins are available in the foods we're talking about. They're in uh, liver, especially poultry liver, has all three, A, D, and K. Egg yolks, uh, butter, seafoods, uh, and then we also recommend cod liver oil, brands that have a nice balance of A and D. And Pam is right. Vitamin A is the concert master of fetal development. It is the vitamin that gives a signal to the stem cells what you're going to do. So the first signals are about forming the heart. And if there's not adequate vitamin A at the time of conception, this is why mothers have to uh, eat these foods before conception, then the heart may not form properly because it's not getting the right signals from vitamin A. So um, this is the crux of what we teach at the Weston A. Price Foundation. These nutrient-dense foods are critical for fertility and for having healthy babies, especially babies with beautiful wide faces that eventually they grow in nice straight teeth uh, is first of all preparation with these foods and then continuing these foods right through pregnancy lactation and growth I'm sorry I'd like to add though that some women under the impression and their physicians certainly are that beta carotene is the um, way to supply vitamin A during pregnancy and there's there's a couple things with this first of all all the prenatals that I've seen only have beta carotene they don't have vitamin A anymore second of all we know that beta carotene is not well converted in about half the population and third of all, and I've recently learned this, is that excess linoleic acid from vegetable oils can actually prevent the action of vitamin A by causing the beta carotene to even be interfere with vitamin A. Um, so it's, it's almost like a perfect storm. No one's really eating vitamin A-rich foods. We've got extra beta carotene in the diet because people are supplementing it. And or eating lots of vegetables without balancing it with the proper fats. And then, of course, we have this excess of the linoleic acid from the vegetable oils in the American diet. So it's kind of a scary thing that that if you really think about what's going on. And I I, I try to help each individual woman, but it's something we'd like to turn the tide on in a national way. And um, I don't know, with, with the Birth to 24 cohort and pregnancy project coming up with the USDA, we're going to try to, the Healthy Nation Coalition is going to try to influence that um, as much as we can, but we know that the USDA keeps promoting the same old information every year. And in fact, they got, I think they got even worse this year. While they take the sugars and put, put them in a, a category where you're supposed to limit, now they're recommending oils, which mm, of yes. course, which yeah. they've never actually done in that mm-hmm. term. You know, they've never said eat oils. And of course, in the in the document, um, it says polyunsaturate mm-hmm. and monounsaturate oils. It's going to be loaded with glyphosate. <laughs> right. Yeah. right. Yeah. yeah. You guys have all made really great statements, and I would like to add a couple more things, which is really interesting to me. I think both vitamin D and vitamin A, as you both emphasized, need to come from natural sources. And of course, the best natural source for vitamin D is the sun. Is the sun, and I think it is incredibly important to make sure you get plenty of sun exposure before and during pregnancy in order to produce cholesterol sulfate, which I mentioned earlier, as well as vitamin D sulfate. Vitamin D is really, really interesting because it goes. It's produced in the skin. It goes to the liver. The liver activates it using 
producing cytochrome P450 enzymes called cyber enzymes. And then it goes to the kidneys and gets activated, doubly activated, to produce the 1,25-OH vitamin D3, which is the active form. So it needs the CYP enzymes to be working in both the liver and the kidney. Studies on rats have shown, and they studied several different chemicals, and they showed glyphosate by far reduced the uh, activity of the CYP enzymes in the liver more than any of the other chemicals they studied, including 2,4-D. And glyphosate uh, disruption of the CYP enzymes, therefore, is going to prevent the vitamin D from getting activated. And I think that may be the source of the vitamin D epidemic that we're seeing today. We have a huge epidemic in vitamin D deficiency that, you know, they talk about it a lot and they say, oh, you all have to take vitamin D, you know, high doses of vitamin D supplements. That is the wrong way to go. Because you're getting vitamin D in isolation rather than vitamin D in the context of the rest of the story. Vitamin D is supposed to be a messenger. And as a messenger, if you get vitamin D from the sun, vitamin D is saying that the, that the cholesterol sulfate is sufficient. And it's saying that the cyp enzymes are working in the liver and in the kidney. Though that's the message it's deliver, delivering once it's been activated. So uh, if you just take tons of vitamin D without getting those other things, it's going to be lying. And that's going to really disrupt your, your homeostasis. Same thing with vitamin A. Vitamin A, uh, interestingly enough, is broken down by cyp enzymes in the liver. So you can predict that it's going to be difficult for the fetus to control the appropriate levels of vitamin A. The orchestration of the development of the fetus is very interesting because you have these different timings that are really crucial to produce lots of vitamin A to cause this differentiation into the various organs and then to shut it down so that the next step can take place. And if you can't efficiently remove the vitamin A, you can get into teratogenic, it can be cause, it can cause damage, you know, it can cause um, teratogenic effects, which is uh, problems with the uh, congenital problems with the fetus. Also, I'd like to add that congenital heart disease, I've looked into congenital heart disease um, in the CDC's hospital uh, discharge data, and we've shown a paper, in a paper that I published together with Judy Hoy and Nancy Swanson, we showed that congenital heart disease is going up uh, dramatically in recent over the past decade and a half in step with the rise in glyphosate usage on corn and soy crops. Um, may I add a, a couple more comments about more fat-soluble vitamins? As Sally mentioned, vitamin K, uh, more specifically vitamin K2, I, I believe she was talking about, is essential to... Um, have the work of vitamin A and D be complete and put the calcium where it's belong where it's needed and not where it's not. Um, the vitamin K2 is best source of vitamin K2 in the average American's diet is a good cheese. Now, yes. good cheese, and yet the the USDA yeah. doesn't mm. want us to eat <laughs> no, fat no. cheese. They want yeah. us to go completely low fat dairy or non fat would be even better, and to so avoid. Crazy. And avoid cheese altogether, which I'm like, oh my gosh, another. I mean, they are so off target in so many ways. It's amazing they, that they seem to be determined to destroy our health. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We with, test- glyphosate, with glyphosate on top. Yes. And I can't believe it. They keep getting worse. And on top of that, now, if you think about it, the promotion of the vegetable oils will yes. actually could induce a vitamin, a relative vitamin E deficiency. Yeah, yeah. Because we know that the amount of vitamin E you need is dependent on the uh, intake of the uh, polyunsaturated fats. And even though they say that the polyunsaturated fats have vitamin E in them, they don't have enough vitamin E to cover their own, um, as we say, PUFAs, polyunsaturated yeah, fats that yeah. are in the, uh, 
It's, it's absolutely ludicrous. I'm not sure what nutritional scientists are actually writing these things. I know. It's all about <laughs> follow the money, right? <laughs> you know, we, ju- we just did some testing, and we found that the best sources of vitamin K in the Western diet would be cheese, especially aged, full-fat cheeses, which mm. are great sources of vitamin K and A and D and a lot of other things, and also poultry fat, so poultry mm. liver, poultry fat, and yet we get over and over again that the only kind of chicken we're supposed to eat is skinless chicken breasts. Right. And so, again, the guidelines are, they, they sort of denude the food, and once you, you know, the fats are there for a reason. Every, every animal food comes with a fat. And that's the whole food, the, the chicken with the skin the, and the organ meats, the, the meat with the fat, the egg with the yolk, the cheese with the fat, the milk with the fat. There's a reason for this. And, uh, you know, the, the people doing these guidelines have this fear of fat. And the, it's really the children who are suffering from this bad advice. And I saw you mentioned the chicken skin, and we know that glycine um, is very important during pregnancy, and one of the best sources of glycine is the skin of the animal. Yes. Um, And and I'm going to have to give credit to Chris Masterjohn for my knowledge in that area, and I would encourage all listeners who are contemplating or in the midst of pregnancy or raising small children to read um, Chris Masterjohn's article, Fetal Vitamins for Fetal Development. Mm -hmm. It it is a landmark article, I believe. And, and it'll really, really, you know, help you understand what we're talking about, what I'm especially talking about a little better. You know, I'm going to brag a little bit here <laughs> because <laughs> it, <laughs> it was the Weston A. Price Foundation. I feel like I discovered you and discovered Stephanie and discovered Chris. <laughs> I agree you, Sally. And, You're so great at allowing And uh, we've given you a voice. All of this information is on our website, westonaprice.org. But I feel that what the Weston A. Price Foundation has done is found these great minds and given them a voice and and allowed us to put all this information together. Because it's like a big puzzle, really. It is. That's exactly what it is. Chris is a great thinker. I really enjoy his work. He's wonderful. Okay. Foods to avoid, such as toxins and fish and glyphosate and, you know, everything imaginable out there. Um, Let's talk about, you know, foods that should be avoided during pregnancy. Well, first and foremost, I would recommend avoiding all vegetable oils and Mm -hmm. certainly all fried foods. Yeah. Um, Unless you happen to make them in your own kitchen. There is very, very little chance that any of the fried foods are remotely um, non-harmful because now that we've we've promoted taking out uh, trans fats and that's you know that's a selling point now no trans fats mm-hmm. well now we're using unsaturated vegetable oils and that's probably equally bad if maybe not even worse yeah. um, and of course we know these these oils uh, are not changed very regularly so it, it adds insult to injury but I have a little story that I think is funny if uh, read a few years ago that the um, in New Jersey one of the high schools was using vegetable oil to to uh, fuel a car, and the instructor in the interview said, "Oh well, you know this is great for the environment because the um, we don't have to treat this vegetable oil as toxic waste. It doesn't have to go into the toxic waste disposal system." And I'm thinking to myself. At what point does this used vegetable oil become toxic waste? <laughs> what was it the day before it was not used anymore? So if there's one thing to avoid, that would be my avoid, 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 avoid. Yeah. Um, and what are your thoughts on seafood? Because seafood has mercury, all kinds of toxins. 
I I think uh, we should be eating seafood uh, in the context of having good gut flora because the gut flora will block the absorption of mercury and anything harmful in the seafood. Dr. Price found that the people with the best bone structure were people who ate lots of seafood. And there's a big debate going on about this even in the government because we do have studies showing that women who eat seafood give birth to more intelligent babies. So I think you should seek out wild seafood and, uh, you know, Alaskan, for example, seafood and make sure that at the same time your diet is supporting a healthy gut flora. And uh, vitamin A can also um, reduce the tox- toxic load in your body. Yes. And that's yes. another article I'll have to give Chris Master John credit for, also available on the Weston A. Price website. Right. The vitamin and I, A. I, I agree with, <laughs> sorry, go ahead. Go ahead, Stephanie. Um, I agree with Sally wholeheartedly about the seafood. I think oysters are one of the best foods you can eat. If, if Of course, these days it's very hard to know where your oyster's been. That's the problem is that we have all these toxic chemicals in the environment. So it, it is um, a trade-off at this point. It shouldn't be. It would be fantastic foods if we weren't for all the toxic chemicals. Oysters have so much nutrition the vitamins, the minerals, the healthy fats, the cholesterol. I mean, really, really a vitamin pill. Oh, an oyster is like a vitamin pill. And all the other uh, shellfish are also really healthy. Um, I also would add a food that they should absolutely avoid during pregnancy is Coca-Cola and any kind yeah. of any kind of these uh, carbonated uh, drinks that are uh, so toxic, not only because they probably contain glyphosate because they've got the high fructose corn syrup derived from the uh, corn, GMO Roundup Ready corn, but also because I suspect there's some leaching going on from the, if you have an aluminum can, the glyphosate could be leaching the aluminum out of the can, and you could they could also be a source of some toxic metals, I would imagine. You know, I haven't tested that, but that's just a theory that I have. So, well, not, the, to men- not to mention the CO2 pulls your minerals from muscle tissue and bone, and okay. su- sugar <laughs> demineralizes the body, right? Yeah. It suppresses so the immune system. And yeah. the caffeine. There's caffeine right. in these drinks, and that's <laughs> that's like a hammer to your adrenal glands. What does the caffeine do? It helps you uh, produce adrenaline, and then your adrenals have to mop up afterwards and uh, okay. come in. And yeah, and the We're baby's take adrenals a short break. Compensate there. Yeah. We're going to take a short break, and we'll pick right up where we left off when we get back. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. The Weston A. Price Foundation provides accurate information on nutrition and health. Find out why butter is a health food, what's wrong with modern soy products, and why good health is found in the wise food traditions of our ancestors. Visit our informative and fascinating website at www.westonaprice.com. We are bombarded daily with information about beauty products and anti-aging treatments. Do you know how they have been tested? Are they truly going to make a change or just take the change out of your pocket? Tune in to Shelly's Show and Tell with host Shelly Hancock. We'll bring you the top-rated skincare products and treatments tested by Real Transformation Skin Care Centers. We'll motivate you to make the best changes. Listen Mondays at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health & Wellness. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. 
are tuned in to Whole Healthy Living with Sharon Brennan. To reach the show today, please call 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to wholehealthylivingradio at gmail.com. Now back to the show. We're back, picking up where we left off. Do you want to take it from here, Sally? Or was oh, it I'm Stephanie sorry. that was talking? I think it was Stephanie that was oh, talking about, about that. the sodas um, and the problems and the caffeine. Yeah, yeah it was Sally who finished that off, but I think we covered that topic. Definitely all of us agree sodas are terrible and they should not be in the diet. I've, I've completely stopped drinking them. I never drank a lot, but I've completely stopped. And then, of course, you have the uh, diet sodas with the aspartame mm. in them. Right, uh, that's very problematic for anybody, but particularly for pregnant women. What is a healthy amount of weight gain? Oh, that's an interesting question, Sharon. Um, the, the guidelines, the obstetrical guidelines are between 25 and 35 pounds. However, if a woman is overweight at the start of her pregnancy, they would want her to gain less than that, usually somewhere between 15 and 20. Now, I've seen overweight women come in my office, and by the end of the first trimester, they've already gained 10 pounds. And, in fact, I recently had a really wonderful woman come in, and she had been following um, a nourishing diet prior to her pregnancy. Um, but during the early trimester, she wasn't, she, for some reason, she got off track, so she wanted to get back on track. Well, she, her weight gain never really slowed down. It just proceeded as normally. It didn't go uh, a lot faster. After she saw me, we spent a lot of time talking about the kind of foods that would help her um, nourish her baby. But not only did she not really, she didn't stop gaining weight according to the regular schedule, but her blood markers were phenomenal and her baby was around eight and a half pounds, which incidentally, is really normal for a baby to be eight and a half pounds. It's not normal for a baby or ideal for a baby to be seven pounds or less. And and I think what we're seeing now is this push to keep these overweight women from gaining too much weight. But really, um, the the um, the risk factors from the excess of weight gain that get imparted to the baby, I think, are maybe more due to the types of foods that women are eating that are causing them to gain weight, the poor quality foods and the toxic foods that they're eating. And so when a woman's on a nourishing traditional diet, I do think 35 pounds or even a little bit more within her body frame size is really not an issue. Yeah, I agree with that. And that's what I actually said in my book, the Nourishing Traditions Book of Baby and Child Care. Uh, 35 pounds is fine, and it's better to err above that than below that. Uh, you know, your key thing is to nourish that baby and to be robust and hearty to nourish that baby. You can lose the weight afterwards. In fact, the best way to lose weight is to breastfeed. I would agree, too, and that's my personal experience. I gained you know, more than 35 pounds, I think, in most of my pregnancy. I have four, four boys, and I nursed them, and the, the weight just fell off as I was nursing. I got back to normal pretty quickly so it's you know gain the weight and then that's I think part of the reason to gain the weight is to be able to have the extra fat to be able to supply the breast milk so you don't want to sacrifice the breast milk for the sake of a few pounds during pregnancy absolutely and, and there are a lot of women that are very concerned about losing their flat stomach that's another thing that I see they have this um, idea that a woman is supposed to have a flat stomach and even some want the six-pack abs and as they start to lose them they get really upset the culture has really shifted the the norm for what a woman's body is and it's not healthy 
Mm-hmm. Even when you look at old paintings, all the women have little little tummies. <laughs> we should embrace those little tummies. Yeah, right, right. That's right. Okay, so the baby's now here and appears to be healthy. Let's delve into the topic of vaccines. Uh, are they helpful? Are they harmful? I mean, I know we all know the answer to that, but <laughs> let's just, let's discuss that. Well, I would say Stephanie is uh, the expert above me on that. I know Sally has a lot to say, so I will go. I unfortunately can't say a lot to my patients about vaccines because as a licensed healthcare practitioner, um, if the obstetrician should learn that I advise someone on vaccines, if they ask me, it's one thing, but to be really careful because they, I could actually be in a lot of trouble, and I feel that I have to just play the role that I can to help the women, point them in the right directions. Stephanie, let's talk about vaccines. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I've said a lot about vaccines. I'm very, very concerned about the toxic chemicals in the vaccines. And actually, recently, I'm becoming, um, it's becoming a possibility to me that there's actually glyphosate in the vaccines. I did a study on drugs, uh, which is published, where we found strong evidence that there could be glyphosate in certain biological-derived drugs. Um, and and so I start to think about and, and of course people have found glyphosate in cotton. There was a study in in South America that found I think eighty five percent of the cotton products tested, including tampons and um, sterile gauze. I mean, uh, are contaminated with glyphosate. Cotton, of course, is one of the Roundup Ready crops. Um, when you look at the MMR vaccine in particular and the flu vaccine, both of them are a live virus grown on um, gelatin that's derived from collagen. In, uh, from the ligaments of cows. And the cows, of course, have had a heavy dose of GMO Roundup Ready corn and soy feed. Uh, they're getting high exposure to glyphosate. And the ligaments contain a lot, collagen contains a huge amount of glycine. And in my most recent research with Anthony Samsel, we're very excited about this discovery of the possibility that glyphosate is substituting for glycine in the protein itself. This is true. Uh, it will be devastating because there are many, many proteins that critically depend upon a glycine in a certain position, yeah. and they will get disrupted. But the collagen has tons of glycine, and the glycine uh, it could be glyphosate by mistake because the protein synthesis makes a mistake. Glycine is a sub- glyphosate contains glycine. It's a glycine molecule with something attached to the nitrogen, and much of its toxicity has been associated with its uh, action as a glycine mimetic in other roles that glycine plays, for example, exciting neurotransmitters acting as a glycine substitution uh, to excite NIMDA receptors in the, um, in the neuron. So it's, uh, if this is true, it's a game changer. And Anthony and I did the study. We were astonished at how easily this idea of glyphosate substituting for glycine could explain all these correlations that we're seeing with obesity and diabetes and Alzheimer's, autism, um, neurologic, other neurological diseases and um, kidney failure, all of these things make sense in the context of glyphosate substituting for glycine in the protein. So if it's in the vaccine, particularly MMR, there's also uh, gel- the gelatin also contains glutamate, and glutamate and glycine together excite the NIMDA receptors and can burn out the neurons in the brain. So you can expect um, the kinds of reactions in the brain that we're seeing, I've done a study comparing the MMR vaccine before 2002 versus after 2002 in the VARS database, you know, looking at the early versus the late versions of MMR. I don't believe that the formulation of MMR has changed, 
But the ones after 2002 are much more toxic. There are many more events. For example, hospitalization is hugely more represented after 2002. Autism is statistically more represented. It's more commonly found in association with MMR after 2002, as well as things like um, um, coma, you know, and uh, facial swelling, indications of something going on in the head, in the brain. Um, and I think that uh, the combination of the glyphosate poisoning from the food, which is causing a leaky gut barrier, which then follows a leaky brain barrier, allows the glutamate and the glyphosate in the vaccine, if I'm right, to get into the brain and cause uh, the kind of damage that could lead to autism. So I think this is a, a good explanation for why uh, you know, Andy Wakefield found evidence of uh, issues with linking MMR to autism back in 1998 when he published a paper in Lancet that later got retracted and there was a lot, a big issue made about that. I think he was right and I think it was, he was a gastroenterologist so he was seeing patients who had gas, had issues with their gut and these patients, I, I suspect by 1998, you were also already getting um, the glyphosate contamination. You know, I don't have a um, credential that someone can take away from me so I can I can say what I want and I say categorically don't vaccinate don't vaccinate don't vaccinate even the premise on which vaccinations are based that this has prevented all of these diseases is not correct these diseases were in decline before the vaccines came and in fact I think there's evidence that we're getting worse versions of some of these diseases such as pertussis because of the vaccines. There are probably 40 or 50 toxic chemicals in, in, that are used in vaccines. And remember, these chemicals are not coming into the digestive system where you, you have a chance of being able to handle them, but they're going directly into the bloodstream. And, you know, sometimes we see extreme damage from vaccines. It's a kind of living death that the parents have to take care of all of the child's life. And, but I think they always do some harm. It they might definitely be one, do. One I want to. One or two IQ points, but say, hey, is that what you want to do to your child? Mm-hmm. Uh, the beauty of our diet with the high levels of fat-soluble vitamins, reducing the sugars, getting off the vegetable oils, is that it creates a healthy immune system that can take care of all of these diseases in the right way. I totally agree with everything you said, Sally. That's well put. Yeah, and there are other approaches as well for the people that really believe strongly um, you know, that they need some sort of prevention there are homeopathics yes. that can be used. Yes. There are, you know, um, oils, essential oils can be quite effective in uh, many cases. But um, I want to mention my youngest child, and that is when I gave him, I didn't give my kids most of the immunizations. The MMR we completely steered clear of. Um, but the DPT, um, notably when I gave my youngest son that, he started walking on his toes right yes. after that. Yeah. yeah. And that's one of one of the, the side effects. And I think the other thing is some of these uh, childhood illnesses you want your child to have. You know, a good dose mm-hmm. of measles will protect you, give you strong protection against cancer all your life. Now, of course, measles can go wrong and you can have side effects from measles, but when you when your child is sick with the measles, you make sure they're getting plenty of vitamin A because these viral infections use up vitamin A. I mean, there's ways to treat these diseases while the children have them that can prevent the 
bad consequences and actually have a great benefit throughout life. Yeah, and furthermore, the measles, of course, if you get the measles, you have lifetime immunity, whereas yes. if you get the measles vaccine, you have to get renewed and renewed and renewed. And in fact, you know, they start renewing vaccines during pregnancy. I find that really horrific. And yeah. they're, they're encouraging people to get uh, nasty vaccines during pregnancy, and it just baffles the mind to think yeah. why that would be a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and, and even it, um, post-pregnancy, if they deliver a baby, I forgot exactly what the, the they do a test of the amniotics, the placental birth, I don't know, but anyway, you've got, they give the mother um, some antibiotics immediately if they feel that she's at risk, actually before the baby's born, now I'm getting this correct. This is staff, this is for the staff, yes. Yes, yes. okay, thank staff. you, Sally. You know, I, I've heard some about this, again, this is not something I can comment on to my pre- patients. Um, but along the lines of vitamin A, vitamin A also protects against autoimmune disease as well. Yeah, okay. So it supports the immune system in so many ways. And, and of course, none of us or none of us don't eat traditional diets get enough. None of America, very few of the Americans. Yeah. And you know what's funny? The USDA does know this. Um, but it really, uh, beyond recommending more orange vegetables, they really don't do anything about it. Yeah. And the other thing that depletes vitamin A is protein because you need protein to use vitamin A. And I'm very concerned that we're pushing very high protein, lean meat, skinless chicken breasts, uh, skim milk, egg whites without the yolks, and protein powders. And we're getting far too much protein in our diet. And uh, that does deplete vitamin A. Yeah, I think that's the logical consequence when you say fats are bad, sugar's bad. Okay, eat protein and protein. Gosh, that's toxic. You know, you get too much nitrogen, you get into a lot of trouble with excess protein. You really do too much methionine. Uh, you're not balancing the protein with the glycine that you get from the broth and the skin and the fats. And, and uh, uh, we've just, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I like to say everything you hear from the government is wrong. So. It's amazing that they can be consistently wrong like that. It's just baffling, isn't it? I am so flabbergasted to see what's happening. and to just It's incomprehensible to me. Me, what's happening? How did we ever let ourselves get to this point? You're yeah. right, Stephanie. I, I think the tide is you. turning, though. I think the tide is turning. Um, I know Sally's worked tirelessly at this for probably close to twenty, if not more, years, it's and right. I do see, I do see a lot more knowledge. Unfortunately, we have to be careful for the younger generation because they what they learn in school is so um, opposite of what we're teaching. And I've had very young children. Well, I consider eight fairly young, to tell me things like, well, I don't eat egg yolks because they're not good for me. Mm-hmm. Um, mm, I know these are hard myths to break, too. Yeah. My, my, kids, the, my kids battle the teachers. <laughs> <laughs> or they or the, sense, the sense of feeling guilty. Uh, you know, if you, um, if you eat butter, you're causing climate change. You know, so. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Well, I want to thank everyone for joining me today. I know that we have really done a great job at uh, building quite uh, an audience here worldwide, and I appreciate all of the information. Um, Anybody that would like to learn more about Weston A. Price, please visit WestonAPrice.org. I encourage everyone that that is a great place to start with nutrition. And um, anybody that would be interested in scheduling a free consultation with me, I can um, answer any email at wholehealthyliving, the number four, the letter U, at gmail.com. Again, that's W-H-O-L-E-H-E-A-L-T-H-Y-L-I-V-I-N-G, the number four, the letter U, at gmail.com. And thanks so much, everyone, for joining me, and we'll see you again next week. 
Thank you for listening to Whole Healthy Living. Please join Sharon Brennan again next Friday morning at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a great weekend of clean, whole, healthy living. And we'll see you here next week.